0: Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Casino, it's Colefield and Company. Silver Sevens—the spot to watch the Golden
1: Knights tonight, seven o'clock against Nashville. Also, March Madness continues; Sweet Sixteen going down a little after four o'clock. We duck out; the games will be right here on ESPN Las Vegas, and you can watch at the Bud Light Lounge or the Silver and Gold Bar, Silver Sevens at Flamingo. And Paradise, 77-cent beers. Bottles of Bud, Bud Light, Mic Ultra, and come on down. they got great casino promotions. Use that A-play card. You can play Slam Dunko, the uh, March Mayhem Scratcher. They set you up in big ways here at Silver 7s.
0: Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. So
1: some more additions to the transfer portal. In college basketball. We're tracking this, seeing what's going on with UNLV and the runner Rebels and the rest of the conference. It looks like some of the top programs are going to lose their major players. Yeah. So Wyoming, I think, is in good shape with Hunter Maldonado. I don't think he's going to get rave reviews by going into the NBA draft process, so they could have Graham E.K. and Maldonado back with a bunch of young dudes around them. David Roddy is going to test the waters. But also said and he's a Colorado State star. Also said that he wouldn't play anywhere else but Colorado State. Are you sure, bro?
2: What you well, what if
1: well, what if Oregon or Arkansas or Texas have Roddy on their transfer target list and have NAL deals ready to go? Got to worry about those schools cuz that's, you know, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing that this is and the addition of the news yesterday that Adidas schools are now going to juice in NIL deals for everyone. Um, Well,
2: it's going to happen at the other shoe companies, too. Of course. Of
1: course. But Adidas is the first one to do it. We'll see how quickly the others respond. So, Roddy is going to test the process. I was looking at one draft rankings list, and uh, Roddy was probably 85. Bryce Hamilton was like 105 on the list. You know, they only do two rounds. So, if you're not picked in whatever it is, the first 62 or 64, then – You're not getting drafted. You're undrafted. So I I don't know what kind of response Roddy will get. So we'll see on that one. And uh, Reno and Steve Alford are trying to hold it together. Or maybe they're not. You know, the guys they've lost a lot of times, coaches are like, leave. Warren Washington, their big man, is gone. And uh, Desmond Cambridge, who came over from Brown, spent a couple years at Reno. This last year averaged 16 points a game. He's in the portal, so going to be interesting and yeah. then obviously all these schools are going to dip into the portal to try to get players so
2: the rosters are going to change a lot a lot, of, a lot of moving pieces like there is every single year and uh, we've seen it in the Mountain West I mean schools like San Diego State have been able to take advantage and find a guy here and there in addition to their program guys that they have around um, that usually usually San Diego State finds their best player like in the portal and then builds around a bunch of other guys that have kind of been there for a few years uh, we know that Reno has done it in the past with Musselman, and I'm sure they're, they're planning on doing it here as well uh, UNLV, I I don't know how much they're going to do this year, uh, with a lot of guys they have coming back. But we'll you know we'll we'll monitor that of course. But you know you can either find a you know find guys in there. You can lose guys in there that you don't want to lose, or maybe that you do want to lose. It's a it's a lot of moving pieces that are in college basketball. And I saw, you know, somebody today tweeted out Purdue is the only team that's left in the Sweet 16 that doesn't have a transfer on their roster, and then a bunch of people responded and said. Weren't they the only team in the entire field that didn't have a transfer on their roster? I don't think there was many, so this is not. It's not like a. You know, I think there used to be some kind of a stigma attached to building your team through transfers, things like that. It's it's not anymore. That's how it's done.
0: Number four. How about the
1: Miami Heat last night? Ooh, against your Warriors.
2: Uh,
0: that got
1: a
2: little dicey. Wait, hold on. Uh, who'd they play? It was. The, the top, I think the top nine players, the Warriors, were all out.
1: That's a good point. Didn't pool light him up for 30. <laughs> yeah, they so played the, So that'll pitch off even more.
2: They played Santa Cruz, I, th- I think is who they were playing last night. Well,
1: there was a dust-up on the bench. I guess it was between Spolster, the coach, and Jimmy Butler. I I didn't realize what Udonis Haslam's role on the team is. Is he basically Spolster's bodyguard? Like, it it's like heavy? Because... It. Butler started get into it with Spoltra, and then you hear, you know, faintly on audio from Udonis Haslam, who's 41 years old. But, you know, he's a gigantic dude, intimidating dude, 6'8", 260 pounds. It was basically like, I will kick your ass right
2: now. Was at, well, Butler, you can't really hear what Butler says to Spolstra. But Spolstra responds, his face just goes like, do you want me to fight you? Yeah. Like he, So apparently Butler must have challenged him to a fight. At that point, that's when Haslam stepped in and said, I will beat your... Behind And then the funny thing is Butler got up and then
1: Spolster stood right in front of him and he's five foot 10. Yeah. Stood right in front of him. I I think to kind of make sure there was a cushion between Haslam and Butler after the game, here was Spolster getting a direct question.
0: What happened in the huddle? Uh, Everybody was wondering where the dinner plans were tonight after the game. Um, It was pretty clear. Like we have a very
1: competitive gnarly group and we're getting our asses kicked and, Two two straight games. Uh, we were not playing to the level that we wanted to play. I would say virtually every single person in that huddle was uh, pretty animated about uh, you know our our disappointment and how we were playing. Do you see? Well, they downplayed it afterwards. He's joking about it. Do you see anything wrong with what happened? Is that is that kind of a normal thing in sports? Especially especially with the Jimmy Butler. i
2: was going to say it's a normal thing with Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he's a super competitive guy, and that's the way he is. Uh, Spolster did have a nice clipboard throw. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he smashed it right into the ground. It was great. And he was following him around. Like he wasn't as you said, he's kind of serving as a buffer. He was he was following him around. Like he, he looked like he was like, if you want to fight, let's fight. Which would have been great. <laughs> I would have loved if he actually threw down.
1: I don't know what everyone else's workplace is like, especially when it's a like kind of a male dominated workplace. But We haven't really been around each other at Lotus because of COVID. But between our FM stations that are legendary, going back to the '80s and '90s, and our sports stations, like dustups happen, screaming matches happen. Sure. I mean, we had what? Uh, we had a former host get speared, like Bill Goldberg, um, in the in the hallway. Sure. Um, he got tackled by a producer. Uh, we had hosts punching each other in the past. We had uh, one host, you know, threatened to beat up two guys. I can't. I I can't even actually recount all of the dustups. And it is normal in radio, especially in sports radio where it's guy guy radio and all testosterone, everyone's all fired up. I got like held hostage in a room. And and by the way, you did get held that's right, (laughs) you did get held hostage in a room. And by the way, our exploits on the sports side, like I said, compared to the FM stations, and we're FM, compared to our music stations, like we we pale in comparison.
2: Hell we we No
1: We calm down on our side. I don't know what's going (laughs) We got people slapping each other. What the hell is going on? Well, just like the Miami Heat, that's the way the workplace should be. I don't wanna, don't hurt anybody,
2: but I don't want to quote Rick James or anything. But you know, I, I don't.
1: Number three, Ari's like I'm going <laughs> to get in trouble. <laughs> Ari, you're never. The thing is, you're never involved in any of these things. Oh, I'm not. Um, I mean, you and I will scream at each other, but no, I don't. I don't. Are you? I guess I'm, we're never. We're not there, so we don't. We don't see the Ari exploits of trying to intimidate no you don't but fight fight back against his 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 coworkers. I'll i'll just say a lot of things start with an email and then they gradually build and let's do know. it i haven't quite gotten there yet but i, I actually it's coming I, I will say this i was a real jerk to a coworker earlier and that wasn't Ooh. really necessary but <laughs> there you go <laughs> sometimes you got to do it don't we love aggro ari yes You've been begging for it for three years now. Yes, we've been (laughs) pushing your buttons. But in the end, it's actually not us that you're flipping on. So there you go. See? Top three stories. Number three. Big soccer game for us tonight. You're back on
2: board with the U.S. side. Sure. Uh, Real quick, though. Uh, more, More Miami Heat fight stories? No, no, no. One of the greatest upsets in sports history just took place. Italy out of the World Cup again for the second straight World Cup which is crazy they just lost to North Macedonia in the in extra time it's at time it's uh it, it, i i don't know it had to be a massive number and if you look at the stats of the game you would think that Italy won like 7 to nothing Italy 32 shots to 4 16 shots from inside the box to 0 5 shots on target to 2 of the possession. 16 corners to 0 for Italy. North Macedonia had 54 clearances from their own box in the game to just 4 for Italy. Italy goes down 1-0 in an unbelievable upset. So Italy's out. U.S. trying to avoid that same fate. They have to go to Azteca tonight, a place where they have never won a competitive match ever against Mexico. In fact... The U.S. coaches have discussed. I have not seen an actual lineup, and they have not said if they're going to do it or not. They have discussed sending out a B team tonight and saying, hey, we got two games left. Let's just give this one away. We've never won here before. Got a game coming up on Sunday. Let's stay healthy. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to try to go down and win, but a massive game as the U.S. tries to avoid a second straight uh, failure to qualify for the World Cup. Now, it's not all on tonight. They can't be eliminated tonight. They do have two games left after this. But one is against Panama at home, which they should win this weekend. That will put them in good position. But they've got this game at Mexico and next week a game at Costa Rica where they have had all kinds of nightmarish scenarios. They do not want to go into that game at Costa Rica needing a win. Even though Costa Rica is down, you want to go into that game having already clinched or at least in a position where you're, you're close to clinching because that could be a nightmare scenario for the U.S. But a big game tonight at Azteca. Number two. Raiders have made a lot of splashy
1: moves. Devontae Adams in the trade. Big salary. Chandler Jones, free agency. Right? Resigning Max Crosby. How about some of the quieter moves? We saw today that Trevor Simeon, Raiders are looking at him as a backup quarterback. What are some of the quieter moves you like?
2: Well, I don't mind. Is one of them
1: Demarcus Robinson? Because that one kind of got... It yeah. More than got overshadowed by
2: Devontae Adams. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a, he's a nice addition. I, I think he's a guy that uh, can be a deep threat, a red zone threat. He could be helpful to the team. Um, I would say a guy like Brandon Bolden who can be a veteran presence. He's he's a good player too. He's going to help you on the field. But I think a lot of instilling the the culture that you want, it, it's you know basically you are mimicking what the Patriots did and just kind of putting your own spin on it and bringing in a Brandon Bolden, a guy that understands that is is important. Um, I, I do think, like, even though some of the numbers will tell you Anthony Averett was not very good last year, I think he's capable of being a pretty good player, and they obviously need, you know, veteran experience, guys that can play in the second. I think that helps a little bit. Um, I don't, some of the defensive tackles, they fit the system. I'm not overly thrilled uh, about guys like, you know, Blaal Nichols and, and Vernon Butler, but, you know, their are bodies, and you need big bodies in the middle. Uh, to play the defense that they want to play, So I, I think they've done some some solid things below the surface of the big splashy moves. They're not there yet, like we said earlier. I think they're still the fourth best team in the division, but they've put themselves in a spot where a couple of guys here and there, you know, patching up the roster a little bit, you can you can compete. Number
1: one. So we mentioned the splashy move of Devonte Adams, right? highest paid wide receiver in football for a day, day and a half. Tyreek Hill is dealt from the Chiefs to the Dolphins. Are teams that are paying wide receivers gigantic money stupid? Is this where the game is going? I heard uh, Drew Rosen on our sister station, Fox Sports Las Vegas with Cowherd and Cowherd was kind of extolling the virtues of the position and saying this is where the game is going. I think this is very layered, very layered. Because I think the flip side of it is if you've got Pat Mahomes, you've got Aaron Rodgers, you've got a guy who's making 35, 40, 45 million dollars. Maybe every once in a while you get a Jamar Chase when he's cheap and you get a number 1, but otherwise you got to make the best out of 3s and 4s. So are the I mean in the case of the in the case of the Raiders, again, flip 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 side. In the case of the Raiders, they have a good quarterback, not a great quarterback, and we don't know what Miami has in Tua. So in those cases the do you make up for the quarterback being the 10th or 15th or 22nd guy by giving him awesome receivers and paying for the receivers?
2: Well, I think you're right that it's layered. I think it's it's very chicken and egg uh, in a lot of different ways. One of the things – so, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody that is obsessed and talks about rookie deal quarterbacks as much as I do. I've been saying it for so long. Now all of a sudden it's it's a big topic. But, like, you, you need to take advantage of when you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. You have to. And one of the reasons that you have to and to put guys around them is something that I think the Dolphins are doing, which is an underrated part of this. The Dolphins need to decide if they're going to sign to a long term.
1: Right.
2: What better way to make that decision? Here's all the way. Then here's everything.
1: No excuses. O-line, you've, running backs and awesome receivers. You've let's got go.
2: everything around you. If you don't succeed in this, you're never going to succeed. So it's a test of let's see what we got with him. And so I think you can do something like that. Uh, and try to make that determination and if it doesn't work out this year then they're not going to they're not going to pick up a fifth year option they're not going to extend him they'll move on from him and they'll know that he's not the guy uh you you can look at other guys like is Aaron Rodgers great without Devontae Adams yeah I think so and I think we'll find out but like does he need some weapons yeah probably uh Derek Carr has been very good he hasn't been great does he become great with Devontae Adams he's always said he would so, you know, let's see what you've got there, too, and you can make a determination long-term. I think uh, the next most interest I mean, DK Metcalf's obviously, there's going to be, we're going to find out what he does, and can you, you know, can you sign him to a big money deal and not have a quarterback, and does he still perform at a high level? I don't know, uh, but I think the other guy that people aren't really talking about right now is Stephon Diggs, who, I know people don't like it, case can be made, he made Josh Allen. What was Josh Allen before Stephon Diggs? Nothing. He was garbage. So it could be the maturity of Josh Allen, or it could be the fact that Stephon Diggs made him better. And Stephon Diggs is, by the way, Stephon Diggs is looking, and he's sending out tweets. Make no mistake, he's sending out tweets right now saying, what is going on? Honor your contract. He's got two more years left at $12 million. Oh, boy. He may be one of the top five receivers in the league. He is one of the top five receivers in the league. Christian Kirk's making $18 million a year. And, And that's the other one is that, a lot of people are obsessing that Devontae Adams is what made the Chiefs trade Tyree Kill, and Drew Rosenhaus said that in an interview today uh, down in Miami. He said, yeah, that we saw that deal. We said, what's going on? But look back. Look at the timeline of tweets. It's the Christian Kirk deal yeah. that started having Tyreek Hill send out tweets that he wasn't going to be back with the Chiefs anymore. That was a massive uh, you know, game changer for a lot of receivers. But, yes, yeah, Stephon Diggs is sitting there at 12000000 million, I'm sure, looking around saying, yeah, this isn't going to work. This isn't gonna, and the Bills have no cap space, so I don't know what they're going to do. Um, obviously, they can make them play for two more years. But with the players getting more power, which is happening, which is good, the owners aren't going to like it. I'm interested to see what the owner's next move is because I think that's the – when we talk about layers, there's so many layers to this. The players getting this much power and deciding where they're going, it's not going to fly. That's the one thing that the owners are not going to let happen. Back to Tyreek Hill for a second and the Chiefs. Listen,
1: I don't like the Chiefs. I don't like Kansas City fans. They're annoying. So I hope they tumble. I hope they flop. They're not going to. right? The Chiefs are not going to fall apart. I saw Jeff Schwartz tweet out yesterday, former NFL player, uh, when Hill was traded. Today's another example of how small the Super Bowl windows can be and how impressive it is that the Patriots had a, a 20-year stretch. All right, the Patriots' 20-year stretch is impressive. But what, what window is small? The Chiefs are done?
2: Is he, is he serious? I mean, no, they're not done. But we – listen – when Mahomes signed the big deal, and, yes, it's a little bit flexible. They can make some moves around there. This is if the next li- step. If you listen you're not, to this you're, show. You're not, going, you're not going to have pricey weapons. And Rodgers has been through this throughout his career. Yeah, Brady went through it as well. Yeah, and we think they circumvented the cap in, in New England, and that's how they were able to sign Brady and sign a whole bunch of other people. But, um, you know, when you sign a quarterback to a big money deal, you're going to have to try to figure out how to make it work with lesser parts around him. And that's, that's where they're going to be right now. And you know we'll see how they're able to navigate this. I'm, I'm sure as long as Andy Reid and Mahomes are there, they're going to be very competitive. But it's going to be tough to put a high-level team all around the field when you've got to deal with the salary cap constraints of having a quarterback making that much money.
0: It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Cofield and company.
1: Co-field and Company. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but in the United States of America, no one really cares about hockey. You know, the old joke is every town has 20,000 hockey fans, they all have season tickets. So the arenas are always sold out, but the TV ratings don't do anything. So it's not one of the four major team sports. Max Kellerman from ESPN, one of the new homes of NHL. Action, he said that a couple of years ago, so he got bashed for that. Uh, let's get into what's going on with the Golden Knights here. Nashville's in town. Unbelievable with the Danoff.
2: He's back, <laughs> yeah, and you love the you love the awkwardness of this. Oh, it's going to be great. I mean, I, I hope he. I really hope that he's the star of the game, so they can't uh. help but put him out there for the press conference tonight. I mean, I think they'll even if he scored five goals and they won five nothing. I think he still wouldn't be wouldn't be there. It would be tremendous, though. I I, I, I love every bit of this. And, and and listen, this is not anything against the team. This is not their fault. We've talked about this. I I put of all the blame that goes on to the the situation with Dodonov, I put zero percent on the Golden Knights zero. But it doesn't make it any more joyful to be so awkward and weird. And I'd, I, I hope for their sake and for his sake, want, like, I hope he goes on to just have an unbelievable close to the season, carries them to the playoffs. That would be amazing. It would be a tremendous story uh, in every way. But the Golden Knights are going to need it. They need some kind of spark. They need something to happen. Um, percentages right now, depending on where you look on the analytics sites, 37%, 38% chance of making the playoffs. So below 50 well below 50%. I will say. There are some. I mean, they need they need to win tonight. Nashville is kind of chasing them. Uh, oh, I get the text. Dodonov will speak post game. <laughs> here we go. Now he says nothing. <laughs> I don't know if people have seen his press conferences. He says absolutely nothing. Uh, but I am I'm assuming kind of English is here. not
1: his first language, Adam.
2: Uh, yeah, but even even that. Okay. Um, All right. So yeah, we'll we'll, see, we'll hear from tonight. But the I will say the the positive side for the Golden Knights coming up. They got this game against Nashville. And then the schedule gets very easy. They've got Chicago, Seattle, uh, Seattle, Vancouver, Vancouver, Arizona, Vancouver, and then a little bit of uh, difficult games at the end of the year. But they've got a very winnable stretch coming up here, the couple of games what, in Seattle and Chicago.
1: What is going to happen if they don't win both games in the back-to-back
2: with the Kraken? Oof. People are going to flip. Yeah, you know Well, then that. they're out. I mean, they're, not gonna, they're not going to make a run if they don't win those two games.
0: Sign up for an A-play card and unlock some great food specials at the Sterling Spoon Cafe at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company.
1: About 30 minutes away on ESPN Las Vegas from the uh, Sweet 16 broadcast. A little later tonight, Duke and Texas Tech go at it. That's Slated for a 6.39 tip. It's now a pick. Texas Tech opened as a a one-and-a-half point favorite. Money is basically split. The ticket count is on the side of Duke, and that's no surprise with the popularity, the notoriety at times of Coach K. And let's get into Duke. Let's talk a little Mike Krzyzewski and what could be his final game tonight. Ian O'Connor, New Jersey, New York-based writer, uh, author of several books, has his book, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. He's up with Cofield and company. Ian, how you doing?
3: How are you, Steve? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: We're awesome. We're awesome. Uh, we love the subject of Coach K. Uh, we'll get into the, the Vegas connection and kind of the Vegas view of Coach K, but first of all, why were you interested in writing a book about Coach K?
3: I was there in 92 in Philadelphia when Leitner made uh, the shot against Kentucky. It's probably the most memorable shot in the history of college basketball. I remember looking across the floor, and Mike had a white towel in his hand, and he spiked it like a football in the end zone, and. <laughs> I always thought that was like an odd reaction, to. I think he felt the Kentucky shot to put them ahead in overtime was an unworthy shot to settle or decide a, an epic game like that, and certainly the later shot was not. But I remember asking him after the game in the press conference, what did you tell your team in that final huddle? And he said, we're going to win the game. We're going to win. And with 2.1 seconds left to go the length of the floor and win that game was not something that his players believed they could do. But in that huddle, he got them to, to buy in and believe And, of course, Grant Hill made the pass and Leitner made the shot. And, I don't know, it's 30 years later, but since that night, I've always fascinated or been fascinated by him, by the way he built that program. He's a guy who never should have had that job in the first place. He should have been fired in his first three years at Duke, and yet somehow he survived and overcame and built the the best program in college basketball.
1: Boy, there's a lot there. Uh, Mention to people who don't know about the beginning of his career at Duke, why he Should have been fired, and and today he probably would be. Uh, Guys don't get four or five years to turn things around.
3: Well, first of all, Steve, how do you get that job in the ACC when you're 9-17 and at Army? (laughs) And, And today that would never happen, but the AD there believed in him, had a gut feel, and he went with it. And after the boosters, the alums, the students, everybody wanted him fired in the early years because Dean Smith was winning a national title in 82 next door. Jim Valvano was winning a national title next door in 83, and Mike was losing at home to Wagner. So So they wanted him out, and somehow he survived it, and the AD gave him a double down and gave him a contract extension, which at the time was crazy, but it turned out to be the, the, the greatest move in, in, in the sports history. So he, 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 he needed to find one recruit that could change it. He missed out on Chris Mullen, which is to this day still his most heartbreaking loss in recruiting. But Johnny Dawkins was that player, and when he got him, in, in the mid-'80s, he was finally a player that could match up with the kind of talent Dean Smith was putting on the floor every year. So so that changed everything for Mike as well.
1: So he's a Bob Knight guy, but he's really not a Bob Knight guy. Well, what happened?
3: Well, their relationship ended in 2015. There was a, a Army reunion at Pinehurst in North Carolina, and Mike approached Knight's table. Knight completely ignored him. And there had been a lot of flights over the years that Mike overcame and, and repaired the relationship. He was doing 95% of the work in keeping the relationship intact. And finally, at uh, in 2015, at Pinehurst, he had had enough, and he marched out of the room, and some of his old West Point teammates followed him out the door, and he said, I'm done. I'm done trying with this bleeping guy. Never again. And he meant it. So that my reporting shows in 2015, that's the last time they ever spoke. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it boils down to, Bob Knight, as the mentor, his former coach at Army, couldn't handle the fact that Mike became a better coach and surpassed his records. He couldn't deal with that, and that ultimately ended to the uh, unraveling of the relationship.
1: The book is Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski, author Ian O'Connor. Is with us. Where can people get the book?
3: Oh, Amazon.com, certainly, and, and bookstores anywhere. And you mentioned earlier, as, as far as just why write a book on Krzyzewski, I did my previous book was on Belichick. And so, I, and I talked to hundreds of people, and he tried to block everyone from talking to me, uh, by the way, and, and Krzyzewski didn't block anyone. In fact, he encouraged some people to talk to me, and though he wants to write his own book in retirement and didn't talk to me, I believe, for that reason, he he did not make my life nearly as difficult as Belichick did <laughs> in the three years I spent studying the Patriots, so, so I was appreciative of that.
1: Yeah, the, the topic of coaching is fascinating, because there's different styles, and I think a lot of... What happens in coaching applies to the real life workplace. I, I've been saying for the the last couple of years, I feel like coaching is changing, or at least the desires of uh, people hiring coaches is changing. Are you seeing that going away from you know the super strong leader, maybe the yeller, the screamer, the dominating personality, to more cerebral, kind of closer to the players? Or am I off on this?
3: No, I think you're you're on target there. I do think that there's a movement away from that, and just look at. This generation of, of young athletes or just kids in general. Now I'm 57. I don't want to sound like I'm completely Jurassic here, but it is a different uh, breed of, of young athlete now, and you have to do more uh, supportive coaching. And, and Mike still has a lot of Bobby Knight inside of him. He's 75, so that's been tempered a little bit in recent years. But where Knight would cross the line of acceptable coach-player conduct, Mike would go up to the line pretty close but, but not cross it. So I'm not sure he could have pieced together a 42-year run if he started today with that style because behind closed doors in practices, and I heard this from many players, and some of them transferred because of this, he would get in your face and yell some really tough and degrading things at times. So it was, it was not a church social in his practice. And if you ever sat behind Duke's bench during a game, and I've been doing this for 36, 37 years. He is the most profane coach I've ever <laughs> been around. And, and the, the cursing and profanity is off the charts. Yeah. And really, it, it, it's, it, most people are blown away by that. And the first time I experienced that in, in, at the Sweet 16 in 1999 in New Jersey, I was blown away as well.
2: Uh, I guess the, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this question, but is his legacy complicated? Because I know, listen, you're talking to people in Las Vegas, and I know you know that he is not the most loved person here. uh, But I think a lot of people in college basketball do love him and respect him. I think there's a lot of people that don't like him for various reasons. But is it a complicated legacy, or is it simple that he was just a great coach that put together a great program? It's complicated
3: in the sense that, listen, Tarkanian, and I I got to know Jerry pretty well, had had a good working relationship with Tark. And he was cast as the villain and and Mike as the good guy and almost a saintly figure in a largely corrupt enterprise. And there's a lot more to Krzyzewski than that. In fact, I think my book has more negatives and covers and examines the flaws more than anything that's ever been written about him. I've had people who are North Carolina fans who hated Coach K and Duke, who actually said to me they appreciated that I didn't make him out to be a saint in this book, and I I didn't. So I, I think it's complicated in that it wasn't that simple for him, that he did have flaws, that there was some Bobby Knight inside of him, that the battle between Duke and Vegas was never good against evil. That was just a, a, just a, a really lazy way of, of approaching it from the media standpoint. And I'll, I'll never forget being on the UNLV plane, uh, flying from Vegas to Indianapolis in 91. And that's still, at age 57, the best team I've ever seen in college basketball. And I sat next to Tark for part of that flight. And, and for about 20 minutes. And, and he was so worried about Leitner going into that game after they beat Duke by 30 in the national championship game uh, the previous year. I thought he was just blowing smoke and just wanted to try to take some pressure off his team. But he meant it because they couldn't <laughs> cover Leitner. And, and so, but uh, yeah, uh, Mike, Mike Krzyzewski, there's, there's a lot there that really hasn't been examined in the past. And I think I do that in this book.
2: Was, was that his defining win?
3: I believe it is. Now, some people might say Kentucky because of the Leitner shot. Yeah. But but if he doesn't win that game, and, and you know, Greg Anthony, that, that last foul on Greg Anthony decided the game in some respects, and, yeah. and I'm not sure that really should have been uh, an offensive foul. That might have been a block. That was a 50-50 call. that could have gone either way. You don't foul Greg Anthony out of that game. I think Vegas wins. But Bobby Hurley then makes that three, cuts the deficit from five to two, and that changed everything. If they don't win that game, I don't write this book. Because they had not won the big one yet. They were the Buffalo Bills before the Buffalo Bills. They had to get over Mount Vegas, and somehow they, they did it. But, yes, I think if you ask him, he, I think he would say it, but on truth serum anyway, without question, that was the biggest win of his 1,200 over the course of his career.
1: Talking to Ian O'Connor, book is Coach K, Rise and Reign of – Mike go back to the beginning of the conversation you mentioned some of the great players especially in that era where they really uh, rose to prominence and they were really good in the mid 80s with johnny dawkins and amaker and allery and billis and i think i'm blanking on the wing on that team but um henderson yeah henderson he had he had so many guys who i think were coaches on the floor did he recruit guys like that or did he make
3: them like that he always talked about recruiting character and, and i think as a former point guard at Army, that Bob Knight never let him shoot the ball, but he was a point guard, and I, th- I think he, he coasted through that position a lot. And you look at Dawkins, who then was able to play off the ball when they got Amaker, Bobby Hurley, Jay Williams. You look at some of the players he's had, that, that position to him and having leadership and character there I think was very important to him. And, and, he, and he's spoken recently last weekend in South Carolina about how we just never recruited talent only – Talent and character you need to win championships. So so I do think that was important to him.
1: By the way, in the end, who were you more fascinated by with what you found out, Coach K or Belichick?
3: I would probably say Belichick yeah. just because he's more distant, more mysterious. I think there was a greater intrigue about him than Coach K. One thing about Coach K that probably surprised me in interviewing 275 people for this book and so many former players is to a man those players said that his image is not nearly as important to him as winning. He just wants to wake up every day, beat you, and go to bed at night knowing he's finished ahead of you. Right. The, the image thing, as far as doing it the right way, that, yeah, it's a nice thing to have, but they said that is nothing compared to just his desire to beat you. And I, I was a little surprised they said it the way they said it.
1: With uh, Belichick, are we going to get a good branch on the uh, Belichick tree? There haven't been many, but in uh, Josh McDaniels now, second chance with the Raiders? <laughs>
3: I, I actually think so, yeah, because just like Belichick made his mistakes in Cleveland and learned from those mistakes. Uh, and, and listen, you have to tell me if he's going to have a quarterback. This is Derek Carr's final year of his, of his contract, right? Correct. Yep. All right. So is it going to be Carr? You know, Brady's contract is up too. Brady and McDaniels are really close. I always thought it was possible. Brady would come back next year and play for Vegas and, and they're very close. So, but anyway, back to your original question. Yes, I do think he'll be successful. He's a, he's a brilliant offensive mind. He made his dumb mistakes in in Denver. And like Belichick, I think the second time around, he'll be really, really good.
2: You, you can't do that to the fans here. What are you doing?
3: <laughs> well, listen, I mean, he's he was under contract to Tampa. I, I did say many weeks ago that I would be shocked. I said this on, on Colin Coward's podcast. I'd be shocked if Brady didn't come back. All the signs were already pointing to him coming back minutes after his retirement even before his retirement. And I I did say Vegas or San Francisco, I thought it would be next year. Well, obviously he came back this year, and he was under contract at Tampa Bay. I, I would not be surprised if he moved. I would say the leader in the clubhouse would be San Francisco next year, his hometown team that he rooted for as a kid. But I would not rule out Vegas. It depends. How does Derek Carr play this year? Is he going to be the quarterback next year? Does he get the new deal? And obviously, if he plays really well and gets a new contract, that's off the board. But let's see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, I think the way it's going to work out, I don't know that Carr's playing this year if he doesn't get a new contract, especially since he helped get Adams here. So it should be cemented. But, hey, you never know. The uh, McDaniels and Ziegler group are really secretive. Hey, last one, last minute here. Um, Ian O'Connor is with us. Let's close on Duke and Coach K. If they lose tonight against Texas Tech, kind of a nondescript Texas Tech team, it would be a really weird ending to his run, wouldn't it?
3: It would, it would, but I think if that happens, which Texas Tech is a very tough, older team, they're just their best player is going to turn 24 next month, and Duke's best player is 18, 19 years old. So I think it's very possible they could lose tonight. And I think the Michigan State game, the fact that his young players responded in the final five minutes and gave him that moment, at the very least, he can leave this final tournament knowing that my young players responded for me in a very big game against a Hall of Fame coach. And I think that would ease this thing just a little bit.
1: Grab the book, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. Ian, really enjoy your work. Thank you so much for the time.
3: Hey, thanks, guys, for having me on. Take care. There he is.
1: From the New York Post, Ian O'Connor. He nailed it. He nailed it. Like, the all the stuff about Coach K, he nailed it why Vegas still hates Coach K. And it might not be his fault, but the good thing pissed people off. And we all look at it now, we're like, that's a freaking joke.
2: Well, it was good versus evil. I, you're right. It just wasn't the way that people painted it. Right. They yeah. were evil. UNLV was good. They were doing the right things.
1: Well, I'd like to look back at, at the way he spoke because it's a weird position for a coach to be in when they're painting it as good versus evil because you can, you, can, you can step up and say, hey, you know, Tark is great. Tark is great. I admire him. Tark is great. Um, but, you know, if a narrative develops – People are still going to run with it, and the, and that Duke thing lasted probably until there. You know, there's more full disclosure, more openness about who coaches really are, and I think, you know, that sort of good journalism, you know, probably began about 15 years ago. where We really started hearing more stories about Coach K, <laughs> but he, he certainly he, he he made he made an image, he made a living for a long time off of being you know the good guy. Any the other thing is he also had his mentor is an ass, so no matter how bad he is. Bob Knight is always
2: gonna look like a bigger ass than Sheshewski. Like, yeah. at least he's not like Knight! Like that, well, that's not really the bar. <laughs> it's, it's it's setting the low bar and then tr- just barely eclipsing it.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Cofield and Company presents grab bag.
2: Don't touch it. Don't even look at it.
0: Only on ESPN on, Las Vegas. 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 Vegas.
1: Stick your hand in there, Dave. Sweet sixteen coming up. Four hundred nine tip with the first game. We'll have the Westwood one coverage right here on ESPN, Las Vegas. Do you remember where you were on March twenty eighth, nineteen ninety two? So that was the Leitner shot. I do actually,
2: do you? because I do. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was playing a tournament in it was Glen Burnie area in Maryland, yeah. and uh, we had just lost to Savannah Park, who was the like the power. They had a bunch of guys go D1 eventually, and uh, it was a tough game, tough loss, and everybody gathered, watch the game? everybody gathered around one of those like rollout TVs in the gym. Really? The high school gym to watch the end of the game. Yeah, they rolled it out into the, like, the concession area. I remember how happy I was,
1: and then how devastated. Like, seconds later, I was actually, I was sitting in an apartment I was renting uh, in college, and I remember the room I was in, like, where I was sitting, and I was so mad. And they had those cheap, flimsy doors. I did not punch a hole in it, but but I remember I remember being so happy. Like rooting for Kentucky made me happy. That's yeah. that's how much Who you didn't? hated
2: those Duke teams. Who didn't? They were the worst. Leitner. I I, st- I still can't stand Duke. And that was before UNLV. Excuse me. Before like, I was here. Before I was here. It yes, wasn't before. Yes.
1: Yeah. I'm keep my language clean. <laughs>
2: Stick your hand in there,
1: Dave. All right, what is Draymond Green saying? About.
2: So, he is saying.
1: I don't know how anyone tolerates this guy
2: off the floor. By the way, play. Play. LeBron continues to move up. LeBron continues to move up the all-time scoring list. Uh, At some point next year, if he stays healthy, he will break the NBA all-time scoring record. Draymond Green says that it's going to be such a monumental moment that if the Warriors are playing that same night he will not play and instead travel and watch the Lakers play and be in attendance for LeBron breaking the record okay And he says he has already told Steve Kerr he's playing
1: I mean this this could turn into a whole NBA rant about guys not playing games why don't they oh, just yeah. have an ISO game I mean I guess you can't predict you can't predict it ahead of time so like this would be the general target
2: of where he could do it sure well, you and you, it, I, it's going to be real tricky if, like, say he's like twenty-seven points away, right? And Draymond's like, all right, I'm going to go watch the game." Yeah. And He scores like twenty-four. You're like, "I got to, I got to go next game. Two too. games. I'm gonna miss two games." By the way, when we, when we talk about, I just remember this for some reason. We always talk about, you know, if you can go to one game a year and the star sits out those games, how sad it is. Right. Um. Yeah, you know, I told you I was just I just traveled back to, um, you know, my uh, to see my little cousin. He lives in Denver now. He has finally become a fan of sports teams. He has one obsession in life. Steph Curry. The Warriors played the Nuggets two weeks ago. He went to his first ever NBA game to see Steph Curry. He said. And you're laughing. <laughs> By the way, what's your reaction to me saying play,
1: play, play? For Draymond. You're an idiot. They, they are they are playing him, but it's like fifteen minutes a night. Should they just do you almost just shut him down until like the final three games of the year?
2: Well the the problem that they have right now is that they they've struggled since Clay they Thompson came back. Yeah, they because, can't win without Draymond. Well, they're trying to figure out how to all play together again. Yeah. It's been since two thousand nineteen since they're on the floor, so they need to kind of get some minutes now. The problem is Curry's not playing, so um, really can't do that. But you you need to develop some sort of uh, some sort of chemistry going forward.
1: So you guys, he didn't go viral for hooking your uh, your cousin up there for missing. No, game, like that's the funny because
2: another kid. Yeah, the girl that was there. Who's in the same situation as my cousin? Complained on social media, and then Steph flew her out to to Oakland to see the or San Francisco to see the game. My cousin did not. He did not get that same offer.
1: Stick your hand in there, Dave.
2: Oh did we get any clarity on the
1: Arizona player last week who grabbed a cheerleader's boob? He didn't. He didn't. It was just like optical.
2: No, no, no. If weird, you if you watch the weird deal on TV, if you it was uh, Ben McTaurin, the player of the year in the Pac-12. If you watch what happened, he kind of put his head down almost like a prayer and then he looked up to the crowd and did the ah, like kind of both hands like raising the crowd up and as he did it he's looking to the right his left hand appeared to have grabbed a cheerleader it's not like he was grabbing her right now if you watch though she didn't react
1: right i saw she did so not i react don't think he
2: actually made contact it just looked like it but he clearly wasn't trying to grab it or he was he was doing like the signal to the crowd he has tried to reach out to apologize he has not been able to make contact yet uh, but he is apparently trying to do that. But it looked like it was some sort of groping. I mean,
1: it's a hor- it's a horrific scenario. Sometimes you know you just you bump into someone yeah. and you're like, oh no, oh,
2: and then you boy. don't want to just yank right away real quick because then it looks even more suspicious. It's awful.
1: You thought this whole thing through, it's didn't you? Many times.
2: <laughs> All
1: right, we are out of here. Thanks to Silver Sevens. Uh, Contra ticket time three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. We got tickets. Over at Mick Ultra Arena, Ari's going to hook you up 364 1100 for tickets to Megadeth.